0: My name's Jeff Bajoric, and my career in sales has been a hell of a ride, and I want to bring you along with me. If you prefer to sell things at a premium, if you never want to win a deal on price, rethink the way you sell. Welcome back to the show. My name's Jeff Bajoric. I'm your host, and I'm here to help you rethink the way you sell. I want to continue this discussion about alignment and the power of alignment, and what it really means to do your best work, not just from a monetary standpoint, but also from a greater good standpoint. And I've got my friend Dewan Brown on the show with me today. I'm going to get right into this interview because I want you to hear the, the, the excitement. I want you to hear the passion. I want you to hear the intention behind this conversation. Uh, but this is what it looks like when everything lines up and you can make an impact on a bigger level than you have ever thought possible if you're willing to follow that passion, that alignment, and that integrity. Give this a listen. Welcome back to the show. My name's Jeff Bajorek. I'm your host, and I'm here to help you rethink the way you sell. I have got a treat for you. Uh, we are into step five of the seven steps to sell like you, and that is know your rules. And um, the person who taught me the rules, the very first person who taught me the rules, like, I don't know, way too many years ago is with me today. And he is a one of a kind to say the very least. And I am thrilled to introduce you if I have, or if you haven't already been introduced to the one, the only, the king of sales, Jeffrey Gittermer. Jeffrey, thank pleasure, you for being Jeff. here today.
1: Yeah, oh, the- my pleasure. Are you kidding me? Um, Dude. Interesting. The uh, I You're just knowing you. Your your podcast is probably rated G. Um uh, it's rated G for Gitimer now, I think. Okay, I'm because I'm an <laughs> E guy. My my podcast is an E sell or die. And the first rule of sales is expletive based. It's don't fuck it up. <laughs> and so many salespeople get into a situation and they're trying hard to sell. And they don't understand the first. The literally the first rule is people don't like to be sold, but they love to buy. Yeah. And if you don't understand that, you know, if you don't understand why they want to buy, then there's no sense in you entering that meeting because you're going to be perceived as some sales guy. They won't even remember your name. Who was that sales guy? I don't know. Uh, we're not. We're not doing business with them. So take your slide deck that you got from marketing. Give it back to them, tell them to make five sales with it and report their findings. Yeah. That's the best thing I can tell you to do with your slide deck for
0: marketing. One of the best. This is my the I call it the greatest sale I ever made. And it was, I mean, this was geez, 15 years ago now. And um, we had a, a marketing intern. Uh, yeah, he was an intern for his graduate. He was a graduate intern basically. And he stayed on with the organization and I met him in person. I talked to him a few times, but I met him in person in our national sales meeting. And he said, man, it's gotta be so easy working for us. You gotta just be bagging orders up left and right. We've got a clearly superior product, all this. And I said, why don't you come ride with me? Come spend a day with me. And so we set it all up and we, you know, he flies up and we meet the night before and have dinner and we were playing video games at the house and like, just we're really connected. It was, it was fun. And so we get in the car and I take him on what was an average, um, you know, an average Wednesday, Uh, first call at seven o'clock in the morning, last call was at 6 PM in the evening. Oh, by the way, uh, we had a bunch of uh, calls in between and that last call ended two and a half hours away from my home. So then we had to drive home, right? And, um, and you know, we get halfway through the day, actually just right before our like 1030 meeting and we're sitting at a coffee shop and we're prepping for this call. And I laid everything out and I said, here's the situation we're selling in. And before we went into that call, he looks up from the piece of paper. I just drawn, uh, drawn out in front of him. And he says, Jeff, I have no idea why anybody would ever buy anything from us. And I said, now you're ready. Let's go make a sale. That's funny. and it's it was and and I say that, you know, with a lot of love and respect because um his relationship and mine grew exponentially at that point because we now empathize. Not only did he know what I was up against the field, but I understood what he was up against at home in operations and product support and things. Yeah. And that was important to collaborate. But you gotta be on the same page and you gotta leave assumptions at the door.
1: If marketing doesn't go out with sales and make sales calls, they should be fired. Literally. Because there's Mm -hmm. no sense in them pontificating something they learned in a book in college. Just parenthetically, uh, have the audience go to augment.org. Augment.org is an MBA program online that's not really an MBA program. It's not like a Harvard MBA. It's like these two guys put a business together, raised a bunch of money privately. And the the founders of companies are the only ones that, that talk. The founders of Wikipedia, the founders of Waze, the founders of Eventbrite, the founders of Shazam, the founder of Lime. I mean, these are big time money guys. And they're talking about how they did what they did. As opposed to a college professor giving an MBA at Harvard that says, open your book to chapter one from a guy (laughs) who's never had a job. Yeah. No, no, never had a job. Right. And- it's, I was, I'm honored. I, I'm the founder of by Gittimer and I'm, I'm there giving my course in sales. I happened to be there for the shoot the same day the founder of YouTube was there. Mm. So it's pretty significant and they're going to, they're going to make a lot of money because uh, it's just real world. It's not, there's no bullshit.
0: Well, I, I think you can teach a college a college course out of a book when you wrote the book, and um, I'm, no, that's, I'm holding that's up. Totally correct. I'm I'm holding up a copy, and if you're not watching this on YouTube or watching this on the video feed in Spotify, go check it out. Um, this is my copy of the Little Red Book of Selling, and it's um, it's significant because this is um, this is a copy that was uh, endorsed to me by my wife in 2008. And the reason it was endorsed to me by my wife was because she saw that I had bought five copies of this and given them away before I actually finished reading it. That's how powerful this was and impactful this was for me. And uh, she knew that if she wrote it out to me, (laughs) then I would have to keep it it and ultimately finish it. So um, this was a Christmas present in 2008. But... Um, the twelve point five principles of sales greatness. Jeffrey, this has, we've talked about this before, so this isn't new mm-hmm. to you, but um, you have so greatly and profoundly informed my approach to selling. And I believe this provided the framework for me to transform from, eh, I don't think I'm a sales guy, sales guy, to um, I think selling is a human's superpower. If yeah. you can uh, realize what you're actually trying to do, instead of copying tactics, instead of saying, well, I got to be cold call guy or knock on the door guy, or, you know, cold email, social selling guy, whatever that is nowadays. No sales like, oh, what...
1: enablement guy. There's something I
0: can find. <laughs> what, what what are we actually trying to do here? And, um, you know, I got the time to, I, I had the, the privilege of spending some time working with you and, and, and just going through these 12.5 principles of sales greatness. When did you learn these principles and when, how long did, what was the process like for you it to didn't articulate take long. These It days? took uh,
1: under 20 years. Uh, <laughs> That's it? <laughs> well, here's the deal. I grew up, I had the gift of gab, but I never really understood the science of selling. I'd learned that in 1972. I had a, a business making um, leisure furniture in 1973, and I sold that in New York City. And then in 74, I had an imprinted sportswear business, and I sold millions of dollars worth of stuff in New York City without giving anybody a bribe um, and without having to reduce my price. Mm-hmm. So those are that's where you learn – Come if you can learn in New York City and win in New York City, then that becomes transferable almost anywhere in the world.
0: If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Somebody said yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard once. that.
1: And and but the the challenge is, can you do it in a way that maintains your attitude? Because people in New York are not always happy. Um, they're not always friendly. They're they're mis they're misnomered as rude, but ra- really they're just matter of fact. Mm-hmm. They have no time for anything other than that thing at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I walk up to a barista in Manhattan, I'm Charlotte now. I've been here for 35 years. Hey, how's it going? What do you want? <laughs> and that's the conversation. And I'm not, I'm not pissed off about it. I know that's how it is. Cause I've lived there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, um, it,
1: it's it's interesting.
0: I had a, a similar trial by fire. When I got into sales and I got into medical devices, because uh, that's where my expertise translated, um, I had this impression that you take people out to lunch, you buy them coffee, you buy them dinner, you buy them golf, whatever it is. Um, and at that time was when things were changing in that industry where you couldn't do any of that anymore. Right. And so all of a sudden, all of my preconceived notions about whining and dining and being, you know, guy that picks up the check or whatever, that's, you spend money to make money, right? That's what they mean. Uh, no, none of that was allowed. And so in a similar way, this is, I think, what, why this, the, these principles resonated so well with me was like, okay, what are we trying to accomplish here? We've got value to provide. How do we establish that that value is worth their time, even though last
1: week I could buy them a turkey sandwich and this week I can't. Well, here's the deal though, is... It's all about the core values of the salesperson's work ethic to start out with how deeply do they believe what's their attitude like and that's very profound in the in the little red book mm-hmm. and I'm going to give you a specific example um I had a throat issue my vocal folds were a problem And I'm to my doctor's office um in Charlotte and I'm waiting for the doctor and a sales guy walks in. And he opens up a drawer and he puts in a bunch of medicines or whatever and he spins around to leave. And I said, You counting this as a sales call? <laughs> and the guy froze. Okay. <laughs> I said, Are you gonna are you gonna see the doctor? Oh no, not today. I said, Well, he's gonna be here like in three or four minutes. Just wait and you can see him. Yeah. And he left. And the reason he left is he had nothing of value to say. And so the challenge that I would issue to any salesperson in terms of what are the rules, what are the principles, if you're not a value provider, become a Walmart greeter Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because you'll make more money. And, And that's a principle that will never go away, ever, ever, ever. So I'm just looking at it from the perspective of if you don't think of yourself as a value provider, then you're not really in sales. You're just making a sales pitch from your slides to a customer who came in as, quote, a lead. And you're following up on that lead and trying to turn them into a a customer. And you're going to have a 5% closing ratio and your sales manager is going to wonder why it's not 30%. And to me, 30% is the lowest acceptable level of, of sales closure.
0: Yeah, I mean, 30% basically encompasses all the things that can happen that are totally out of your control and it's not worth holding yourself accountable to, right? right? But if right. you're closing at 30%, you're doing pretty well. If you're closing at 50%, you're getting a little lucky. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but but, the, but the, the here's the challenge, and salespeople don't understand this. If a baseball player fails two out of three times for 20 years... He's in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Yeah. 333 hitter. You know. Aren't,
0: there aren't very many of them.
1: No. And so that's the challenge that you have as a salesperson. You can't let a no get to your yes. You just can't. Because if it does, you're going to consider yourself a loser. At the end of the day, you can either say, hey, I lost two out of three today, or hey, I made a sale. Yeah. Same mindset.
0: the idea of value provision is something that i think a lot of people still get wrong mm-hmm. and i'm thinking particularly with uh with uh, uh with regard to prospecting right it's let me tell you about my product my product my solution whatever it's so value look how cool it is and it's it's as yeah. if they're trying to imply value and there's no real illustration of value there's no connection there's no empathy here's
1: the deal marketing has screwed up sales they create a mission statement that's bogus <laughs> and they create a value proposition, which they also call a value prop, which has no value. Mm-hmm. And so you take those two elements, and now I'm not saying it's 100%, but pretty much 100%. You take those two elements. I say if your value proposition has the word we in it, can it? Because it has to be the customer's perception of value yeah. or it's not valuable. If you think it's valuable and I don't think it's valuable, it ain't valuable. And so that's the challenge that a salesperson faces. And they have to know that by the research that they do before they ever make a sales call. What's valuable to that customer and how can I convey that value in a way that they perceive it to be valuable? I'm looking here. Principle number seven,
0: engage me and you can
1: make me convince myself. Exactly. Exactly. Ask me a a bunch of questions that reflect back on what, what I'm trying to accomplish and you're going to win. Yeah. If I walk into a customer and I want to sell them sales training, I'm going to ask them one question. How many of your guys, men and women, did not meet their quota last year?
0: It's a lot. It's more and more depending on the oh, study yeah. you read. Yeah. And
1: and then I'm going to say, well, why'd that happen? Well, the economy, well, the uh, yeah. I said, oh, great. So how are you fixing that? And that's it. Those three questions will earn me a, earn me a sale. I don't want to say I'm Jeffrey Gitomer. I wrote a big book I can't, I, They don't care about that. They don't care if I die, right? They only care. Can I do? I understand their problem, and yeah. can I fix it?
0: Credibility and relevance. Yeah, be someone so we're talking to have something yeah, that's we're talking about. And
1: credibility and relevance are basically the grandchild of social proof. Mm. Mm-hmm. If I have social proof my credibility and relevance have have been met before i ever walk in the door Mm -hmm. and if i don't i gotta i have to prove myself and i don't want to prove myself
0: so let's let's go back to value creation in the age of ai okay and we talked a little bit about ai before we got recording here today um but Everything is and as of as of the time of this recording, AI is aggregating mediocrity. It is scouring the web for what is most prominently there, which is a bunch of bullshit. Like the the sales calls that this thing is aggregating. You cannot count
1: it because so many people are making it an accolade. What they have to understand is they think AI is the Jesus of sales. It's come to be the savior. It's You know, it's the return of whatever. <laughs> right. Um, but it is not. All it is, is it's a tool. AI is a tool. You can teach any AI platform to think differently. Mm-hmm. Um, the one everyone knows is chat GPT mm-hmm. and you can tell it who you are to start out with and it will give you responses that are way better. But what people don't understand about AI is that it's a computer. It's not going to have humor and it's not going to have emotion. And so when you get a response back from them, you have to add the customization, the humor and and the the empathy, the emotion to that response or you're going to you're going to die. You're going to flat die. So, I don't down it. I look at it as a tool just like the internet was when it started. Mm-hmm. Um and some people will grow with it and some people will die.
0: I, I think you you know, is the, the world going to
1: come to an end? No. Is right. it going to eliminate salespeople? No. Unless you're shitty, and then you're right. probably going to get fired for who you aren't anyway. <laughs> so, uh, it's incredible to me that you have this tool that's right at your at your that's laying at your feet, waiting to be exploited, and it's primitive. You know, it's it's under five years old. Mm-hmm. So think about the telephone when it was five years old, or the television when it was five years old, or the automobile when it was five years old, or the copy machine, or the computer. That's where AI is. But if you don't play AI, if you like think it's going to catch on fire or you're gonna you know the world's gonna come to an end, you're screwed. If the world's not gonna come to an end. It's gonna pass you by.
0: I spent a couple of hours last week. Talking with um, a friend of mine who got her PhD in AI, oh wow! And she thinks that this is akin. This is going to change the world in a way similar to how electricity changed the world. Like that's how big of an impact this is going to be, and we're at the very beginning stages of it. And look, there are there are warranted fears that the wrong people are going to use this for the wrong reasons, and we're all going to be hosed. I, that's out of my control but you know I what no I time can do that. yeah I have no I time. Can, it, it's and if it does well am I worse off for denying it when it when it eventually happens no it's one of those things. so the um what I can do though, is play with it. What I can do though is investigate where this can go. And th- I think the the thing, Jeffrey, that most people are stuck on with this is that it is such a big concept. They don't necessarily know where to start. So yeah. I think your idea of, hey, play with ChatGPT, play, play with the free version of ChatGPT. It won't even cost you anything. And then no. if you want to spend the 20 bucks a month for the enhanced version, or yeah. let alone any of the other large language models that are out there that are accessible at no charge, goof around and see what can
1: happen and let your brain start to unravel tell it about you then ask it questions don't just ask it a question yeah yeah anyway i think a little bit too much information to give away but i can tell you this what i'm going to do with ai i'm going to bank it (laughs) because i look at it as an opportunity and i'm going to how can i turn this into revenue right so i'm going to combine um my intellectual property with avatar and a great AI platform. And I'm going to, you know, help salespeople make a sale using me as a guide on their phone, anywhere in the world, any time of the day or night. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So, And you know, well, how how much will it be? I honestly, God, I don't know yet. (laughs) We're screwing around with, but because the problem is that my avatar will eat up, um, Time on the internet and you pay for time. Mm. So I got to find out. Well, I'm not going to find out. Other people are finding out how much that's going to cost. And we're probably going to offer a text version, an audio version, and a video version.
0: Mm.
1: Pretty cool. That's killer.
0: Stay tuned for that.
1: Totally killer. Stay tuned for that. But I I want to go
0: back. No, go ahead. I'll, okay, I'll let no, you keep going. Show.
1: You do what you want.
0: I, I want to go back to this idea of value provision, though, in in okay. the the idea of AI in this, and and you said it, and I just kind of want to tie a bow on this. You have to use the tool, but you have to inject the human nature to the AI because yeah. it's still. If you don't customize a your
1: responses, you're screwed.
0: Well, and and you know, we for a while all had to go virtual. And we saw people on Zoom. We saw people on Teams, whatever platform you used. And we could still have the meeting. You could still read the facial expressions, a little bit of the body language. But there was something that was missing there from those face-to-face interactions over coffee or over a meal or, or whatever it is. And I think as powerful as AI is going to be to generate our responses for us, it will never be human in the way that it will never have that magic of energy
1: transfer from one person to yep to the next so and that's the best the analogy power, I can think of the power of AI lies in collaboration not wisdom it's going to give you knowledge but you're going to have to modify that to make it applicable to yourself or your customer or your kid you know whatever you're trying it's not going to write a book for you it's right just, AI can it's not going to do that there's going to be claims. <laughs> That are going to, you know, it cures cancer. Uh, it's just, it's not going to be that thing without your collaboration with it. It'll write something for you and then you fix it. Right. And you you fix it in a way that's phenomenal. But I'm going to tell you that I've asked it a bunch of questions. Even after I train it, it's it's not as human as I am. Right. Right. I grew up in the 60s. We have ideals, we have principles, and I'm not violating those ideals or principles. I'm a writer. yeah. And as, as a writer, it may take me a little longer than AI takes me, but it's going to be more accurate. The thing is, I don't want an aggregate
0: version of your brain. Yeah. I want... that exactly. I want where your brain was at that time. You and I have talked about this before, about repurposing content and brushing things up and whatever. And you can take a piece that you wrote 10 years ago and look at it and say, you know what? That was really good, but it'd be better because of where I am today. And it's your feeling in that place. It's your discipline of waking up at ungodly times in the morning and sitting down behind your keyboard. And it is the context that you bring in from your environment. And that makes your writing better. That makes your selling better too. And yeah, uh, I'm a four uh, or five AM
1: or um with a thought every single time. But let, let me throw this at you as well. Yeah. Um I'm a devotee of early masters of personal development. The guys who you know, mm-hmm. like like uh, Napoleon Hill and Dale Carnegie, but the guys who you don't know, like Arson Sweat Martin and Samuel Smiles and mm-hmm. Alfred Hubbard. They're not familiar names like Napoleon Hill is. But they didn't have good publicists. 10 years ago, um, I my early comeuppance was five guys in a sales meeting, an hour a day for a year in 1972. And every day we had to write a chapter report and give a chapter report on one chapter of Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. which only has 15 chapters. So literally... And we we're off on the weekends, but every month it was completely, you know, dissected. And then you did it again. And yeah. then you did it again. Do yeah, that you read it 15, 15 times. times a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so th- I became a lethal weapon of think and grow rich, but from an interpretive perspective. And so in 2015, I wrote living, think and grow rich living it no i didn't it's not published yet oh well what was the one that you wrote you wrote another one yeah
0: i wrote truthful living truthful living yep that's the one i'm looking for on my shelf right now it'll come to me which
1: is his first writings but i'm interpreting this for the 21st century Mm -hmm. because his writing is is dated and some people call it hokey it's not hokey it's accurate but if i fix some of the hokey language people will quote get it and right. this is a shorter version. It's only like maybe 70 or 80 pages. But I've taken each chapter and made it real and then talked about how do you put this into practice? What do you have to do to make this part of your life? And I'm going to give you a specific example. Napoleon Hill in the first, very first chapter says, thoughts are things. Well, that's kind of true. The real truth is thoughts become things. Hmm. And if you don't figure out how to make the thought become a reality, you've lost the whole message before you even go to chapter two. So I'm trying to put it into interpretive language that will help people understand how can I do this now? Because no one has any patience anymore. Yeah, I'll read the book, but where's the cliff notes, right? So I'm writing the cliff notes um, and people don't even know what cliff notes are, but it's how we <laughs> cheated in college in the sixties. The executive
0: um, summary, call it an executive summary and, and yeah, people will, right. will respond.
1: <laughs> but I can remember distinctly my, my college professors going, if you're reading the cliff notes, my test will have nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. So don't even bother. I'm like, Gosh. right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, by the wait. way, I read the
0: cliff notes too. So I know exactly what not to test you on.
1: But but um, there has to be an ability for that salesperson to utilize what the customer needs and give them what the customer is expecting. And that's value. Mm-hmm. That that the, the value is there. You can't read the book and be the value provider. You have to read the customer and see where the customer is in terms of what they need, what they're expecting, what they're hoping for. And most important, Jeff, what they want their outcome to be. Yeah. What happens after they take ownership? That's the whole piece of value.
0: Your prospect, your customer is having, they're involved with half a dozen, at least, negotiations with themselves right. at any given time. Should I do this or should I do this? Or how should I approach this problem? There's multiple potential solutions, etc. cetera. When you as the seller, can provide value in such a way that you actually enter those negotiations on their behalf and show them that you've got some expertise. You've got a willingness to lead uh, some insights to share, and you can be an ally for them in those negotiations. Two things happen. One, they realize that they now have a leg up in that negotiation and they can probably win it, which makes them feel good about pursuing the project. And also in terms of order of priorities, which problems are they going to tackle first? The ones they most likely believe are going to have a successful outcome. So you just rearrange their priority list by demonstrating that you can be an ally to them. And that's what real value provision looks like. And
1: I just want to throw something at you from a Northeastern standpoint. Mm-hmm. As opposed to from a Midwestern standpoint, <laughs> you talked about the depth of empathy. Mm-hmm. I can tell you in New York and Philly, there is no empathy. There are facts, there are feelings that you can transfer, but no one's going to go, Oh, you're so nice. I'm going to buy from you. No oh, one right. has ever said Yeah, no one's ever said that. Right. And so somebody asked me the other day, How do you identify? And I said, Well, I, Actually, I identify as a dick. That way you know my personality and my gender all at once. (laughs) But that's how I was raised. Yeah. That's how every salesperson in Manhattan is. Yeah. Male and female. Because they want the customer wants you to get to the point. And the point is how they perceive who you are. Yeah. And that beyond empathy is realistic. There has to be a stroke of realism or you're not going to win. Well, and that's, I, I think empathy is not so much
0: about, I want you to feel warm and fuzzy. Like I'm connected to you. It's, it's empathy. Like, yeah, I know exactly
1: what you're dealing with right now. I, I get and, it. I just don't call it you. empathy. Yeah. I, I just, oh. because empathy okay. sounds too soft to me. Fair. I want to call it pragmatic.
0: You call it your thing. And i will call, call it yours. Jeffrey. That's totally
1: fine. But, <laughs> Realistic is something that a big time buyer wants. They want, yeah, yep. I like that guy. He was real. Yep. Yep. And um, you can still say you understand. And, you know, I'm, <laughs> you're my third podcast of the day today. Mm-hmm. Third one. I normally don't do one a day. But for some reason, you're my third podcast of the day. And the last one, I swore my, my ass off. And I almost felt like um like I was swearing way too much. And then I got a call from Jay Abraham. Yeah. You know Jay Abraham? Uh-huh. He calls me. <laughs> Jay fucking Abraham calls me on the phone and apologizes for taking too long to get back to me. Yeah. So immediately we've transferred our values to another. Yes. I know he values me enough to apologize for not getting back to me fast enough. That's big. And second of all, I know when I talk back to him, he's going to listen to what I have to say. Right. not written off. But he knows that from my relationship and my friendship with him for 25 years. Today, social proof plays an extremely important role in the customer googling you before you get there so you can prove who you are, so when you walk in the door they will listen. Mm-hmm. They will ask you a question. They will they 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 will be engaged in some way or another. But if, if I Google you and you're no place, I don't want to talk to a nobody. Yep. I want to talk to a somebody and you can have all the rules down pat. If you're nobody online, when somebody, you know, put you into Google, you're screwed. Yeah. You're totally screwed. Oh, I see. You're a nobody. Yeah. You got to go now.
0: Um, I've got one last question for you to wind you up and let you go. Um, I'm going to, I want you to riff on authenticity. And how these 12 and a half principles, as well as the dozens of others that you've written about, allow for and
1: enable, to use that word, authenticity. Um, If you study Dale Carnegie's two prime books, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, which I just purchased, by the way, this copy of How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. It is a signed first edition of the book. Wow. Now, in this book, there's an underlying theme and how to win friends and influence people. There's a two-word underlying theme of how to win. Be yourself. Mm -hmm. Oscar Wilde said, Mm -hmm. be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Mm -hmm. And so when you walk into a customer or a prospective customer, they're going to perceive instantly that you're real, or not real, and the more you're yourself, the more you win. And you can be outlandish at it. Like I, I'm a, a walk when I'm pitching a, a CEO. I walk around the room. Inevitably, he or she will get out of their chair and walk around the room with me, and then I go sit <laughs> in their chair. It freaks them out, but it works. Yeah, they recognize I'm I'm being myself. I'm having a good time. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I'm not pranking them. I'm just having fun. Yeah. And they want that. Most people are having no fun, especially today. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're literally after the pandemic after, and zoom was the, was the, the catalyst of it, not meetings, not Google meet, none of that shit. It was all zoom. And Finally, somebody said, you know, I don't think my unmade bed should be in the background. And even though you're being yourself, you can't be stupid. Right. You have to be smart about it. Make your bed and close your closet door. (laughs) At the very least. (laughs) And then maybe have a background, you know, maybe put an American flag up or something. But make yourself be perceived as someone who's more valuable. Mm Mm-hmm. And that doesn't take, you Don't you're not phony in it. It's not phony if it's true. That means if it's consistently true. Right. That means you don't have to remember what you said or how you acted. You're literally yourself.
0: You can have a real short memory if you're always telling the truth.
1: Yeah. And that that authenticity is at the fulcrum point of being perceived as okay enough to buy from. I have to perceive that you're okay enough. I have to perceive that your value is there, but I have to perceive you're telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. And and if you are telling me the truth, then you can become a trusted advisor. If you're not telling the truth, you're never going to be a trusted soul ever. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What a great place to end. Um, Jeffrey, what do you want people to do right now? It's uh, This is airing uh, the of November, happens, 2023.
1: You, and what? report back to me. You want to, you want to what? Go to hell in a handbasket and report back. <laughs> um, no, they can just go to Gittimer.com, gitomer.com, G I T O M E R.com, and everything they need to know will be there. There's a sales assessment that's, I want to say it's free, but it might not be. I'm not sure. We, we're we going to, it's worth it. Take it anyway. Yeah. Just send me an email, jeffrey at gitomer.com, and I'll get you a freebie. Um, but just, you know, follow me online. Go to, go to my Twitter, go to my, instagram go to you know I'm, I'm on every social platform i have thousands sometimes millions of uh, followers or views so just check it out and see what you can get for free and then if you decide you want to have me at a meeting of yours or something then you, you have to pay
0: cool jeffrey um you were uh the first big influence on my sales career and i uh, appreciate you so it's much for that it and is a you, pleasure also um were one of the first people who looked at me when I started to embark on this coaching uh journey if you will you looked me in the eye and said you get it and I, that will that I, I feel that in my chest even when I think back to that day and I, I appreciate you and, and your support your encouragement your wisdom the prolific content creation and uh and I thank you for every once in a while sending me a text just to kick my ass and uh uh thank you thank you for that
1: it's a pleasure it's a total pleasure. Take care of your kids. Take care of your family. Stay away from (laughs) idiots.
0: That was the one, the only Jeffrey Gittimer. Um, there are none like him, folks. That's the the simplest way I can say that. Um, I'm appreciative to him for everything he's done for me, but also for the wisdom he shares with everybody. And I hope you took a few things out of that conversation. Um, he takes these talks and he goes where they well, where he thinks they need to go, and that's part of the beauty of uh, a conversation with him. But I, I think he brought up some really salient points, and maybe you owe this one another listen. Maybe you should take notes next time um, and just think a little bit about where our profession has come from and where it's going. Uh, So thanks for your time. Thanks for spending the last 30, 40 minutes uh, with us. Um, Coming back next week, we are kicking off step six of how to sell like you. and I'm sorry, of the seven steps to sell like you, the same thing. And uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing that theme with you. It's about accountability and what it means to really be accountable. Uh, It's a simple step, but Uh, one that you need to have. Otherwise, uh, it all falls apart. So thanks again for spending your time with me. I will talk to you again real soon. Rethink the way you sell is a pot about it production. It's mixed and edited by Doug Branson with music by Blue Dot Sessions and Doug Branson. This podcast is masterminded by Jeff Bajoric.